Well, beloved, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we are moving more to the middle of this chapter, we find more wonderful truths as the Apostle Paul continues to encourage the saints in Corinth and present more of his argument for the truth and the reality of the doctrine of the resurrection. And so let us go before the Lord in prayer uh, before we hear the reading and preaching of the word, and uh, I'd invite you to join me as we do. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word to us today. Lord, it is our spiritual food. We need it desperately, Lord, to live and to walk rightly with you and before you And in this world, O Lord, we pray for your Spirit's work this morning. Be gracious to us, O God, and open our understanding to receive and to take joy and comfort in the truths that you have in this passage for us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our text is going to begin in verse 12. Verse 12. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible Word of God written for you and for me today. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, congregation of the Lord, the reality and the historicity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foundational teaching in Scripture, and therefore it must be a foundational teaching in the church. The resurrection of Christ is central and essential in the gospel and Christianity. The Apostle Paul defended and proclaimed the truth of this doctrine to the church in Corinth, for error had come into the church in this very teaching, as some denied his bodily resurrection. Some claimed it didn't really happen, and yet Paul didn't play around with the teachings of such false teachers, did he? No, he he didn't tiptoe around what they taught, bending over backwards not to offend anyone, or otherwise candy-coating the severity of the error, for it was very serious. 
But rather, he spoke to the saints who heard and were chewing on such false doctrine in a way that by God's grace, they could understand and be persuaded by his words. Paul showed forth the glory of the truth that Jesus truly rose from the dead. And we know that it's, it's all too easy for people to believe and to latch on to, to support and to spread things just because someone else said it, or they read it, or they heard it in a podcast, or whatever, and it sounded reasonable at the time. And yet the truth of such claims haven't been explored and verified in the Scriptures as they must. Oftentimes, Neither have the ramifications or the consequences and the applications of such teachings been thought through. For as we will see in our text today, if the Corinthians went on in their belief in these false doctrines, really if anyone goes on to believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, of of the many issues that that raises problems with, Paul wanted them to know what would be lost. And that's really what we see him focusing on in these verses. And in addition, in the following context of our passage in chapter 15, Paul then teaches us what we gain because Christ truly rose from the grave. And so in our text this morning, Paul continues to present his case for Christ's resurrection and therefore the resurrection of the dead with theological precision. If you look closely at his defense, it's actually quite wonderfully crafted. And this morning we will consider the resurrection preached yet denied in verses 12 and 13. The empty reality if Christ didn't rise in verses 14 through 17, and the dashing of hope in verses 18 and 19. Look with me at verse 12 as he begins to talk about Christ's resurrection being preached and yet what was happening in their midst. In verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some, of you, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, notice here that there are seven if statements that Paul makes in our passage as he steps through his argument. He begins with his preaching of the gospel to them. Paul had preached faith's reality in the resurrection to them as he referred to in the preceding context in verses 1 through 11. And he then recaps what he preached to them to set up the meat of what he's about to say in verse 12. Remember how Paul enumerated what Luke referred to in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 as the infallible proofs by which Jesus showed himself alive in the preceding context of this verse. Beginning in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, 
And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. And so, beloved, just as he had shared this with them, he then asks an important question, doesn't he? Considering the gospel that had been preached to you, considering the gospel that you received and and you believed, how could some of them say that there was no resurrection of the dead? The Corinthians needed to make the critical connection between the real and true resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of the dead. Now, if you know what the Pharisees and Sadducees believed, remember that the Sadducees believed in the false teaching about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 23, verse 8, when Paul was before the high priest Ananias and the Jewish council in Jerusalem, he said this. He said, For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Remember also Paul's words to Timothy regarding those who have warped teachings like Hymenaeus and Philetus and their twisted teaching of the resurrection. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, we see some important words. You can turn with me there if you'd like. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. He gives this critical instruction. He says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And notice this. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Now, beloved, I want to pause here and, and press an important matter to you. Recognize the spread and the speed of the spread and the deadly thoroughness of the effect of the spread of false teaching. Don't miss it. Don't minimize it. Because the poison clearly infected these false teachers And its goal is to infect and overthrow all who will listen. Remember how Paul told Titus that the influence and the teaching of false teachers was overturning whole households. Why had some in Corinth shifted to believe the opposite of what Paul had preached? Had they been influenced or pressured by the Sadducees? Scholars agree that they were likely influenced by those who taught the pagan philosophy of dualism. And dualism taught that there was a contrast between the immaterial and the material, between the spirit and the body. The spirit was good and the body was evil, they claimed. And under such influence, some of the saints in Corinth likely developed a dislike for the body. And therefore, they saw the doctrine of the resurrection to mean that dishonorable bodies would be raised. 
Paul will go on later in verse 36 of this chapter to call them foolish for believing so because there is an inseparable connection between the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers. Speaking to this negatively and really cutting right to the heart of the matter, look at what Paul says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See that cut. See that immediate connection that he makes. Let's get right down to the brass tacks. Uh, I'm not going to mince words with you here because it's that important. It's that inseparably connected. And we need to recognize that as well. It isn't a loose connection. It isn't something that is ethereal. No, it is an inseparable connection between the two. And because of the inseparable connection, Paul could rightly say that if their resurrection isn't true, neither is Christ. And if Jesus didn't rise, beloved, then we don't have a living Savior. That's one of the most important things that Paul says in this epistle. Everything is rooted in Christ. And if we don't have Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. Denial of Jesus' bodily resurrection destroys the message of the gospel. However, Christ is risen and is our guarantee that we too will rise on the last day. Praise the Lord. And Paul went on then to lay out the Corinthians' logic and exposed its dangerous and tragic conclusions. And, And oftentimes that is very helpful, isn't it? You can speak truth to someone, but unless you help break down their existing faulty logic and understanding and their structure and the way that they're looking and supporting the false things that they believe, oftentimes it's very difficult for them to grasp or to see that truth that you're proclaiming. So he does that very well. He exposes the dangerous and tragic conclusions. And there are really four consequences that Paul speaks of in verses 14 and 15, if Christ isn't risen. It's a very empty reality, isn't it? Look at verse 14. And if Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. If, in fact, the resurrection is untrue, then the testimony about it is untrue. And Paul said, if Christ hasn't been raised, a consequence is that our preaching is futile. It's empty. It's vain. It's powerless. But yet we know that Christ is risen. And the opposite of that is true. Even as Paul is pressed time and again from the very beginning of this epistle, the power of that foolish message of the cross that is preached. Why did he say this? The power of the preached word isn't my skilled oratory or my eloquence. Thank God for that. It isn't 
an ability to reason better than others or my ability to motivate you. I'm not standing here as a motivational speaker. I'm standing here as a preacher of the gospel to speak the words to your hearts, praying that the Spirit would work in your hearts. The power of preaching is dependent on the resurrected Christ because it's the Spirit of the resurrected Christ that gives power to the preaching of the gospel. It's the Spirit of the resurrected Christ working powerfully in your hearts through the Word. And that is why we never deviate from it. Because it's the Word of God that you need to hear, not mine. This is what Paul told the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 when he said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached powerfully to the crowd at Pentecost. The people who heard him, what was true of them, they were cut to the heart. Not by Peter's words, but by the word of God through Peter and the Spirit working in and through the word in them. They were cut to the heart. And they repented. And they trusted in Christ. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that the second consequence regards our faith, doesn't he? If Christ isn't risen, our faith is empty. For our faith would be faith in a dead man, and dead men can't save and have no victory. The resurrection of Christ was His vindication by His Father. The resurrection was the public demonstration of the Father's acceptance of the perfect and the completed work of His Son, praise the Lord. And further, notice Paul's words in verse 15 about if Christ isn't risen, He and the apostles had lost all apostolic trustworthiness. That was gone too. You shouldn't listen to me for one more second because I'm a liar. He goes on to say that. Look at verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. And so we see this as, as the body is, is grasping, as the body is believing the gospel, and that whole gospel, including the resurrection of Christ, he is saying, now wait a minute, see the connection here, you're believing in the resurrection of Christ, you're proclaiming that, now what must you do regarding the resurrection of the dead? You must believe that too. The Apostle Peter made such a proclamation of Christ's resurrection when he preached to the men of Israel in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, 
him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Again, Christ is risen, and so will we bodily. But if Christ isn't raised, beloved, if their preaching was in vain, the apostles were false witnesses and liars. God is therefore untrustworthy because the apostles claim to be the apostles of Christ, commissioned by God, sent by God, given the message from God to bear witness of that message to those who personally eyewitnessed the resurrected Christ. They were sent out as unique witnesses. Yet if Christ isn't risen, then they are liars and the people couldn't trust anything that they said. The Bible couldn't be trusted. The church would be on shaky ground. And ultimately God, who gave us his word, who made us and has given us life, breath, and all things, none of it could be trusted. But beloved, can you see how critically important the doctrine of the resurrection is? Both the doctrine of the resurrection of the the bodily resurrection of Christ but also the resurrection of the dead. And what else did Paul say we would lose? We would lose the forgiveness of our sins, and this is huge. Look at verse 17. Really, 16 and 17. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Remember that we are justified by faith alone in Christ. When one calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ in true faith, the benefits of Christ's work for them is applied to them. Their sins are forgiven. But if Christ is not risen, faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And what tragedy that is. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 teaches us that Jesus was delivered up for our offenses and raised for our justification. So if there is no resurrection, there is no justification. And if there is no justification or legal declaration that we are righteous before God in Christ, then we remain guilty for our sins. How tragic it would be for you and me to still be in our sins. And why? Because that means that we are guilty and therefore deserving condemnation and damnation and death. If Christ has not been raised, then that would be, then that, those things would be true. And we are destined for eternity in hell. And it would also mean the dashing of everlasting hope. Right? Look at verses 18 and 19. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There is a threat to our preaching, Paul says, to our faith and to our hope. Some of the Corinthians may have thought that though they believed there was no physical resurrection of the dead, there is still life after death. But Paul says no. 
If there is no resurrection, there is no life. There is no hope. Those believers who have fallen asleep or died have perished. The glorious promise of John 3.16 would have to be deemed false, as those believing in Christ would perish having no hope and no promise of eternal life. And Paul said that there is also a consequence to our current condition. Look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Consider this. Our hope of salvation is dependent on the crucified and risen Christ. And if Christ did not rise, if our hope in Him and the benefits of His work are only constrained to this life, then we are merely and truly objects of pity. But our hope of salvation is so glorious that if we are still in our sins, we would experience the greatest of all deceptions. Paul said in verses 31 and 32 of this chapter, he said, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, In the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. What what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's that simple. It's that short. No hope. Matthew Henry said this. I think it's helpful. He says it's a gross absurdity in a Christian to admit the supposition of no resurrection or future state. It would leave no hope beyond this world and would frequently make his condition the worst in the world. But beloved, remember this. The glorious truth and reality that should comfort and calm our hearts this morning are the great promises and is the great hope for the, li- for the life to come for all of those who believe in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. And we'll go on to see the beauties of this and the the glories of this as Paul presents the truth of all the benefits that we have in the risen Christ uh, next week, Lord willing. But because of the risen Christ, there is power in preaching. Never forget that. When the Word of God is faithfully preached, the Holy Spirit is powerfully present, changing hearts and lives in and through His Word. And because Jesus rose from the dead, our faith is sure. And it's sure because it's directed towards our living Savior and King who is seated at the right hand of His Father, ruling and reigning and will for all eternity. And also, we stand on a solid foundation in Christ and on His apostles who were faithful witnesses. And further, our sins truly have been washed away. We have been sanctified and are being sanctified. And and we've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so, we aren't to be pitied. Those who have died in Jesus have not perished, praise the Lord. For we have a true faith and a true and lively hope in our risen Savior. We have great confidence that Jesus is alive, never to die again. 
And we have great confidence in His promises that He will return and will raise us up bodily on the last day to to be with Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever.